You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest struggled with anxiety and depression from a young age. Due to his family's prominent public position as the Victoria Premier, his battles were heavily documented by the media. Alcohol-fueled events turned his life upside down until a car crash at age 20 where he was charged as a drink driver. He went on to become a successful model, did a stint on Neighbours and competed on Dancing with the Stars. Though I think his biggest, biggest accomplishment has been now talking to thousands of people around the country about his battles with depression. Please welcome to the show, Nick Brax. Thanks for so much for talking to me today. How are you, Nick? I'm great. Yeah, thank you for having me here on your show. appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. So, Nick, I just wanted to start off if you could tell us a little about your youth and growing up. Sure. Um, so, I grew up in... I guess quite a prominent family. My dad was a well-known politician. Um, I was a very shy kid growing up. Um, had had a, ra- a range of issues that I, mental health issues that I didn't become aware of till later in life. And I was always very, I guess, obsessive as a kid. And that translated mainly into sports. And eventually I um, excelled at at playing football and became so fit because I was so obsessive about my training that I started winning all of the middle distance running races. And that became my thing. I wanted to be a professional athlete, competed at an Australian level, um, channeled everything into that. And that was really my escape looking back from the social issues I was facing from, um, the anxiety, OCD, different issues that I, you know, was unaware of, uh, wasn't, uh, emotionally aware enough, I guess, didn't have the, um, the awareness to know what was going on and it sort of climaxed in a whole range of things later on and um, led me to the work that I do today. What are you, what were the things that sort of troubled you? Do you, do you sort of remember them or can you pull at them and, and sort of define them just for other listeners that may be struggling themselves, but don't know whether, cause I think the thing, I mean, I don't know with, about you, but I actually think most of us deal with depression um, and you know, it's varying levels of course. And, how we can cope with it and stuff like that. But I think that a lot of people sometimes question themselves like, am I dealing with depression? Is it anxiety? Because they're not really, you know, clarified on, on the meaning of each, each word really. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, um, it's the bulk of the work I do now. I run a mental health organization and, um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Most people, um, in some degree are going to have mental health issues. It's not, defined to it's a very complex area you know there's different levels of severity but everyone at some point is probably going to have some sort of experience with mental health issue it's part of being a human it's like saying i'm going to go through life without having any physical problems it's pretty unlikely um so really we all get a cold (laughs) yeah exactly we're all going to have you know things like that that we have to deal with so really the the main thing that i am interested in trying to make some sort of small change in is how can we try and educate people about how they can deal with it more and understand it more? And, um, you know, we, we don't really get educated through no. traditional schooling, through parenting, you know. We haven't been taught about a lot of these um, this information about how we can understand emotions and understand ourselves and other people and all that sort of thing. But, um, sorry, I've gone on a tangent. I'm going to go back to, can you <laughs> repeat, repeat your... Uh, I love it. You wanted me to answer first. Yeah. So, and yeah, yeah, I tend to go on tangents. <laughs> That's okay. I think we all do. So yeah. I just wanted to know, um, what were the symptoms sort of thing that you'd, you sort of first noticed with your Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what were the, yeah, what were your sort of, you know, was it about your looks? Was it about, uh, you, you know what I mean? We all have our struggles with whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. For me, the symptoms were definitely number one, overthinking. My mind wouldn't stop. It would erase. It would think 10 steps ahead, mm. uh, putting immense pressure on myself and, and thinking my mind, I guess I've always had quite a creative mind. So the mind is going to, before anything even happens, it's looking at all of these different situations and creating stories about what's going to happen and what's going to go wrong and all those sort of things. So it was a combination of, I guess, um, yeah, catastrophic thinking and um, just putting this pressure on myself to be, to succeed. I, you know, always, I don't know what it is, but I, you know, to this day, I've always had this thing where I'm very, 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 competitive and ambitious and um i think it's just part of me um want to you know push everything as far as i can and um try and get as much out of myself as i can but you know i didn't know at that point how to balance it out and it led to really unhealthy behavior um so it's only been through the learnings and understanding myself and trial and error that i have learned how you can create balance and how you can have healthy things to do on a regular basis to keep yourself in check Mm. Do you think that um, the glare of your father's position was an instigator also? I don't. I think it added fuel to it. I think um, it isn't, it definitely wasn't the catalyst for why I had those issues. I think from, and and again, you know, this is, it's hard to talk about this stuff on a broad level because like I said before, mental health is such a complex thing. But I think for me, the way I'm wired and the sort of problems I had with this obsessive mindset, it was going to be problematic for me regardless. And I was going to have to learn how to deal with it. And definitely having a well-known father and being in the spotlight, being known as the son of this person um, added fuel to it because especially with the personality I have, you know, I always sort of thought, well, I I love my dad. I'm proud of him, but I'm Nick Brax. I'm not the son of someone. I, I don't know many people who get referred to as, Oh, you're the son of this person. So, you know, that, but you know, again, it brought other opportunities. So I'm not complaining about it. It was more a learning thing and, you know, added its own, had its own issues. But um, I've really brought that into a lot of the work I do with my mental health training company and um, trying to educate people about that because I've come across so many people where, yeah, fair enough. My dad was quite prominent in the spotlight, but this is a big issue where people have successful parents or parents that they, you know, not from the parents' fault, but from, you know, the, the, the kid wanting to live up, not knowing how to live out of, get out of the shadow of their, of their parent and, and having that identity crisis. And it, yeah. it does cause really big problems in a lot of people. Hey, you could have been the son of Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Funny enough, I, um, I mean, I battle with depression myself and I often say to people, because people always look at me and they perceive me as being very self-confident very yep. out there, stuff like that. And I just say, I'm actually a good actor. I, I, I'm, I'm literally exactly. terrified inside. And I'm, yep. you know, the millions of voices are talking in my head constantly whenever I do do anything public. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just say to them, I, I, it's just good acting. That's all it is. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've learned to deal with it a lot better because I, I like you, was deathly shy as a child. Um, yeah, and people look at me now and go, "Well, how could you be desperately shy as a child, but be like you are now?" But I'm just a good actor. That's all it is. <laughs> Absolutely, that's the thing, isn't it? It's sort of we all um, end up playing a character of some some sort of um, you know in different parts of our lives, and we yeah. have to learn to adapt. But um, yeah, I think for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but 
I, yeah, I was catatonically shy to the point where I couldn't one-on-one look someone in the eye and have a conversation. And it was disrupting my life. And I, um, it was only when I had had this huge period of time dropping out of university courses, I was off the rails, finally got into another course at, at university and found out we had to do 10 oral presentations, um, in the first semester and was in front of like five people. But for me, That's I, I, I was trying to pull out of the course. I was terrible. I'd vomit before I went and did them and I'd be mumbling and looking at the floor and shaking as I did it. Wow. Um, but to this day, that is the single best thing that ever happened to me because from there I, you know, went and got into the um, entertainment industry. I started yeah. doing talks, raising awareness, but also I now love, I don't know if this is what I was going to ask you, if it's the same for you, but I really just love anything where I get to perform, whether it's, you know, doing a podcast right now and just communicating with someone, whether it's doing a talk, whether it's an acting role, um, because it's really, it's an outlet where you can, yeah. all of these thoughts that go through your head, it's a way to actually just get them out into the world. And, you know, um, if you're sitting there just trying to like um, alone with your thoughts, they can just circulate. So I find it really, you know, cathartic. Funny enough with me, I, because part of my issues with the anxiety and the depression was actually about my looks. I mean, I was 16 and modeling. Do you know what I mean? I had very long hair and I used to get a lot of TV work for like, you know, jeans ads. And yeah. I even modeled for Jean, uh, Jean-Claude, uh, Jean-Claude, what's his name, John? Jean-Paul. Yeah. So I actually yeah. modeled him years and years ago. And I suppose even though people were booking me for these jobs, I never believed my, in, in myself because I always looked at myself extremely differently and only saw the flaws. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, as you get older, that really only gets worse. So now um, I love doing the podcast because I'm not seen. <laughs> people just hear my voice and I still get to get my thoughts out, which is great. You're, you're a good looking guy, mate. You don't oh, have to hide away. <laughs> Luckily the listeners can't see. <laughs> <laughs> no. So um, next question, what was the first step after the car accident that sort of catapulted the changes and, and, and you know, the differences that you made with your life? Uh, well, yeah, that car accident was just, you know, one thing amongst a, a very yeah. prolonged period of me being off the rails. So it was really, um, it had gotten to a point where I, I was, almost catatonic. I, I was not wow. getting out of bed. Um, I, I wasn't functioning. The one thing that, you know, apart from that period throughout my entire life has been that I've always been very active at this point, I wasn't even exercising. And, you know, to this day I, I train every day. That's just the number one thing for me. Yeah. Um, so I just wasn't doing anything and it, it, it did get to a point where, um, I was just refusing every bit of help I could get and hiding things, but I couldn't hide it anymore. And, um, my mum dragged me to go and see a psychologist and, you know, and I, I, I knew at this point as well, I thought, well, this is out of control. You know, I'm getting in life threatening incidents. Um, I'm not, I'm going downhill. I'm not making any moves to get out of this. I have to do something. So I started working on it and, um, re-enrolled in uni and that was around when I had to overcome, you know, a lot of these fears as well. Yeah. So with, so I, cause I actually uh, had a look at, I mean, I've been, of course I research everybody that I'm interviewing. I had a, a good look at your stuff and I did see that you did mention the alcohol thing. Was it something that, was it something where you were just sort of wiping yourself off every weekend? Was it that definitely. sort of thing? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was young, I was lost. I was 
suffering from, you know, severe shyness. I didn't know how to connect with people and alcohol was the only outlet for me where, Mm. you know, if I drank enough, I felt free. I could express myself. It was in that small moment liberating, but obviously caused, you know, bigger problems afterwards. So that was a, a big coping mechanism for me. So afterwards, and, and I mean, you then went on to do some modeling and did the acting, et cetera, et cetera. What were your coping mechanisms to do that sort of stuff? Or had you already sort of done the work and were then confident to go and do it? Or were you still struggling? I mean, in your own head sort of thing at those times? Um, yeah, I mean, I was still working through things, but the yeah. way that I, um, I guess all of these things happened, I guess, um, in a step-by-step sort of way, but it was through really um, sheer willpower and just pushing myself over and over and over and over again to get over some of these issues that I got through. And, uh, and again, you know, this is some of the stuff that when I do my talks, I teach and through my organisation, you know, it's part of like some of these programs where I think if anyone's wanting to make a change, um, it's accepting that it's not easy and it takes making a habit. And for me, making that habit was with the speaking, vomiting every time before I spoke and mumbling, looking at the floor, reading off a sheet of paper, feeling humiliated, going home and crying and telling myself I was pathetic and, and, but just doing it again and again and again. And eventually something clicked and I was standing up there without any notes and just talking. And I was like, shit, I'm actually doing all right here. And it sort of like was a domino thing because not long after that I finished uni, I was doing some modeling work. I was in the media. I got asked to go on dancing with the stars. Um, so I'd got over this fear of speaking or I was getting over it, dealing with all these other issues. And I thought, well, um, I didn't think there was anything more terrifying for me than speaking, but dancing on live TV. <laughs> um, oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't even dance when I'm out with my friends. So I thought, that was one of those moments where I, I said no initially and I thought I, I actually can't process even the idea of me actually doing it. Um, but I, I eventually did say yes to doing it because I drew on that experience of getting over the fear of speaking and uh, in ways that I didn't know, it, it had a profound impact on my life. So I thought if I can overcome this thing, dancing you know, in front of a live audience on TV, um, you know, three million people watching the show, I will feel like there's nothing I can't take on. And um, it was the most terrified I'd been. And I was a pretty terrible dancer, stayed in there (laughs) somehow for a while, but um, it it actually did do that afterwards. I, every time I had to put myself out of my comfort zone, I just said to myself, well, will this be harder than um, doing that show? And it wasn't. So it's just, you know, really helped me. It's been a, a, a big sort of thing for me. And how hard is it to remember choreography? <laughs> oh, Isn't it oh. a nightmare? Oh, my God. It's terrible. You know, you're trying to not only learn a different dance. And you, we had like six days to learn each new one each week. And then all the choreography is just like, well, I thought it was hard, hard learning lines for yeah. acting. But this is a whole nother level. I've got a lot of respect for dancers. So do I. <laughs> I mean, I did a yeah. bit of dancing when I was younger. And seriously, I don't know how they do it. I have such respect, such respect. Oh, massive. It's amazing. Ants Talk. It's like Oprah, but not. So how did the opportunity arise for you to start talking about your struggles to to begin this new business that you have? Um, Happened a long time ago, um, sort of basically went around the period of Dancing with the Stars. So at that time I was in the media a lot. I um, I guess I'd spoken for the first time about what I'd been through. I was on that reality show. The media made a big thing out of it. 
Um, and I got asked by, I started getting approached by schools to go and share my story. And I was terrified to do that, but I thought, you know what, I've been able to overcome a bit of this fear of speaking. This is another opportunity, went out and did it and, um, sort of clumsily got through it. But then I had all these kids coming up and just after the very first one, just saying this really helped me. And, and I heard back from them. I got emails saying I went and got help and I never spoke about this before. And you were a catalyst for me to talk about it. And I thought, bloody hell, this is pretty amazing. Even if I can help one kid to share this story. And and I started to learn myself more about mental health and I saw this affects so many people and I just kept doing them. And I, I, um, I mean, I've done other things, started other businesses and sort of, you know, started exploring the acting, but the one sort of, you know, probably, um, the one thing I've been consistently doing for that period is these talks. And I started getting trained by, behavior change companies, um, facilitating for them and eventually getting so much demand that I built my own seminar company where I get psychologists to consult with me and build the content and I deliver it. And, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate to have fallen into doing that work because it, it is really rewarding. Yeah, definitely. I actually, um, was also, again, as I said, looking at your, um, website and I still yep. have a little, I have an alarm that keeps going off for some reason, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I noticed some, uh, stats that you put up, but close to 800,000 people die due to su- uh, suicide each year. Um, also suicide is the second leading cause to death among 15 to 29 year olds. I found that one really, that really hit me. Pretty hard hitting. Oh well, yeah. It's, um, it's terrifying. Your life is literally just starting. <clears throat> Do you think that yeah. a little of it has to do with matu- like maturing also? Do you think that that's a, a little bit of healing that happens also is that we, we do mature and we do, I don't know, learn to accept things and deal with things a little easier? Because that's, how, I mean, that's how I sort of feel. I feel that my maturity Absolutely. and having, you know, the life skills that I have, I mean, especially me, I mean, I'm gay and I mean, back, when I was 16 and 15, I thought I was the only gay person on the planet. And yeah, I really did. And I thought, Oh my God, how am I going to, how, how's the world going to deal with this? Um, and you know, now at, you know, 50, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you're, you're 50. You yeah, look yeah, yeah. damn good for 50. Thanks man. Thanks. That's yeah. moisturizer. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, I just, I I agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 Uh, Absolutely agree. Yeah. It's the maturity thing I think that does help along the way. And I think that's why that, um, there was a campaign just recently, especially for people coming out, it does get better. Um, and there couldn't be a a truer line because it really does get better. I mean, whether it be, you know, not just about your sexuality, but just even Mm -hmm. dealing with anxiety and depression, it, you know, if you seek help and if you talk to other people, then it really does get better. And you may not have, you know, you may not have a relationship with your parents that you can go and talk to them about it, but there must be somebody in your life that you can go and talk to. You know what I mean? Oh, I no, I couldn't agree more. And I think what you're saying is so true. And it is, you know, the suicide thing's terrifying. And I, I've learned more about it over the last two years. I've done a lot of interviews with um, people that have been affected by it. I did a TED talk this year about where I centered the talk around suicide. Another stat that came up through that was um, one person around the world commits suicide every 40 seconds, which is hard to wrap your head around. And the stats are just insane, but you know, there's 
different sides to it, but I think like you're saying, one side that um, definitely is there is, yeah, people don't have the knowledge, information, life experience, education to deal with it. And we, you know, we, and the emotions are so severe that it can in that moment feel like there is no other solution. And that's a really terrifying and sad part about it because if they did have the support, if they did have the knowledge, if they did have that education, yes, they still would be in that, you know, potentially in that point where you do get to that overwhelming um, emotion. I mean, I guess you look at even these celebrities like Robin Williams and, you know, people like that. And it's just, it, it is scary, but I think a lot of lives could be saved. Um, one, one of the other things I researched when I did this Ted talk was um, there's an advocate in America um, that I follow and he, um, jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge to try and kill himself, I think, when he was about 16 or 17. And he actually survived. And I think there's been thousands of people that have jumped off, maybe 20 or 30 that have survived. And what I found was all of the survivors said the exact same thing. They all said the instant they pushed themselves off the bridge, they instantly regretted it. Yeah. And, um, you know, that really sort of, it, it really hit home for me because I was like, it's just, you know, you can assume so many other people that have gone through with it have probably had the same experience. It's just oh, exactly. it's such a sad thing, isn't it? It's like, um, you know, we want, we need to do more about it. Well, funny enough, you just brought up two points there. I mean, I, I'm friends with a guy on Facebook who attempted suicide last year doing exactly the same thing, jumping off a bridge in his area in the States um, and survived. Um, wow. And he said exactly the same thing that, you know, as, as yeah. soon as he jumped, there was the re regret there, which is really hard for him to deal with. And I mean, he's had to go through months and months and months of rehabilitation and stuff. I mean, he's doing extremely well now, which is just amazing. Mm. Um, That's great. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a scary thing. I think the other thing too that yeah. comes up for me is um, I've had a family member, uh, it was my uh, brother-in-law that actually committed suicide, but he committed suicide after actually approaching, asking for help. Um, and he was sort of turned away. And I think that a lot of people are finding the system that we have here in Australia is, is so flawed. Um, yeah. and yeah. people are either being turned away too quickly or mm -hmm. they're being told to take antidepressants and to go home, um, yeah. and stuff like that. What's your view on, on Australia's sort of stand on that at the moment with the services that we've got available? Um, yeah, I think Australia and, you know, just globally, um, my view on, on all of this is, um, it is a incredibly complex, complicated issue and there's no one size fits all and there's no sort of um, one stop solution to it. So I think psychologists, psychiatrists, different services are really important, but that's not enough. And like you said, there's a lot, there's not enough regulation about around antidepressants. Yes. Antidepressants actually are really, really important for some people and some people biologically actually need to be on them for life, but yeah. there's a lot of trigger happy um, psychologists or psychiatrists out there that, We'll just hand them out, not do proper testing. And it can actually have an adverse effect if it's not the right one. Um, so that's a problem. Um, it, it's not affordable for a lot of people to be able to see a psychologist regularly enough to get what they need out of it. Even if you're seeing them once every week, that's one hour out of the week. And they might give you things that you can try and do. But people, you know, to create a habit, it takes incredible discipline to do it every single day. 
how are you going to motivate someone to do that when there's a lack of resource? So I think, you know, my big thing and, you know, the reason I'm driven to do the work that I'm doing and sort of this is actually, um, I was telling you just before we started this talk, um, I'm about to launch a digital program um, called Mental Health Masterclass, actually, um, as an extension of what I've been doing. It really is designed to be video education for the masses to learn about mental health and have very basic, simple things that you can do. I've got workbooks and attachments and tasks and different experts that come on, mental health advocates, psychologists, different people. But I, for me, what I'm trying to do, and I don't believe what I'm doing is a solution, but I think it's one part of the puzzle. I want to just be able to give mass education to people about this and things you can do every day because from from my experience, I've seen over 20 psychologists and, yes, it was important and I learnt a lot. Um, but of the practical things, the actual tools that I do daily, not one thing from a psychologist really stuck. It's all come from trial and error. I exercise every day. I meditate every day. I have people that I connect with that I can rely on and vice versa. And all of these different things have come from me trying through, you know, my own, um, you know, just trying trial and error, like I said. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's sort of my long winded view on, on all of that <laughs> and, and giving, my new, giving my new business a bit of a plug as well. Um, why not? I say, why not? Um, <laughs> I, I actually think that that's a, a brilliant thing to have that sort of resource out there because I think that, anything that we can put out there into cyber world that people can access and hopefully get something from, it's never going to hurt. You know what I mean? And I think that's yeah. the beauty of having online stuff at the moment is, I mean, there's even a service here in Australia that uh, had started where if you are battling with depression or something, you can actually text rather than call somebody because someone yeah. might feel more comfortable texting than actually talking, which I get exactly. because when you're in that state of mind, you, you know what I mean? Like, especially when you're on that tether, you don't Absolutely. really want to talk. You can't even function talking, talking. So Absolutely. being able to text would be a huge thing. I think for some people. Oh, for sure. So what is the one thing that you take away from others when you talk with them? Um, that I take away from what do you mean by that? From so, so when you're doing one of your talks, yeah, yeah, school or something like that, apart okay. from them, yep. the kids coming up and saying, you know, that was amazing, yep. what does it give you? Oh, what do I personally get out of yeah. it? Um, I, I mean, I, I've never found anything more rewarding. Um, I just find it, you know, it takes you out of yourself. It's not about me, it's the same as acting, really, but you know, this is actually more about helping people acting the entertainment medium that can help people. but this is you know it's about them so i'm standing there and my objective if i'm doing a one hour or three hour talk or whatever it is is for that time period i've just got to use every bit of energy and knowledge i have to try and give this give these people some information and some tools they can take away so it's rewarding because it takes you out of yourself and it's it, it gives you more perspective and the ironic thing is it actually ends up helping you just as much yeah, because you're reinforcing. Yeah. It's, um, and you know, in day to day life, it's, and I'm still prone to it. You get caught up in, um, all of, you know, social media, how fast the, the world's moving, um, mass media consumption, you know, egotistical sort of things that get dangled in front of you. It's, it's very hard to keep yourself humble and in check and focused. Mm. And I find that work, um, the same as having this conversation with you right now really does, um, you know, nothing seems to give you more satisfaction than, you know, real conversations and trying to help people. Yeah, I agree. 
What advice would you offer to someone struggling themselves? Uh, someone struggling, I would, I would say to them that it will get better no matter how bad it feels, no matter, you know, you might have been feeling this way for an hour, a day, a month, a year or longer. It might feel like it is never going to get better. You might feel like there is no solution. There always is. Mm. There is always a solution. So I'd say you have to remind yourself that. Talk to someone. Go and get help is the next thing I'd say. And, um, and I understand that some people might, you know, we shouldn't feel shame. It actually takes courage to be vulnerable and show that. Mm. We shouldn't, but some people might still feel too overwhelmed to do it. So I would say find some way to get help. If you don't want to talk to, you know, some a counsellor at school or your parents or whoever it is, talk to a friend. If you don't want to talk to a friend, um, go on the internet and just Google a helpline. If you type in mental health helpline, there are lots of anonymous helplines where you can call 24-7 and get help. You don't have to, they don't have to know who you are. So just do something. The hardest thing normally is taking that first step and it gets a lot easier from there. So, you know, that's, that's probably, um, you know, a shortened version of what I would, um, what I would say, you know, for what they could do. Yeah. What was the one thing that helped you to initiate change? If you could put your finger on one thing, what was the thing that Um, changed? The thing for me was things had gotten to a point where I, the, I guess it was almost going to be more painful to not change than make a change. Um, which, you know, sadly for a lot of people, you know, and this is a psychological thing we need to understand that a lot of people will wait until, won't change until things get to that point. Um, for me, it probably was that. And then it was also, um, you know, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm a very ambitious person. I'm someone who wants, I'm very passionate. I want a lot out of life. I want to experience a lot of things. And I, I just realized, well, unless I make a huge change, I'm not going to be able to do all these things that I value so much. So there was this massive um, sort of um, contradiction happening, I guess, where I wanted to be one thing but was behaving in another way. So I thought, well, if I want to be true to myself, I've got to change that behavior. And, you know, that was a big part of it. Cool. So before I let you go, where yep. can people learn more about you and what you're doing? Uh, so they can go to my website. So it's just nickbrax.com. Yeah. Um, I've got a whole lot of information on there. You can follow me on, I'm always posting mental health related stuff on social media. (laughs) Um, yep, I do indeed. So mainly Instagram. Thank you. Um, so just Nick Brax on Instagram. I've also got a Facebook. It's Nick Brax. Um, that's the easiest way. And, uh, like I said earlier, I've got this new program coming out called mental health masterclass where it's going to be available both in schools and corporate and, and to the everyday consumer. Um, and that'll be, you know, hours and hours of video education and workbooks and, and, and different, you know, incentives to make changes. So um, I'd look out for that as well. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I just wanted to, before we go, just to let people know if they're overseas and listening to it, because we do have a lot of overseas listeners, then make sure that if you are having issues or problems or want to talk to somebody, just Google and try and find your local uh, service that can actually do that for you. Here in Australia, we have Lifeline and their number is 131114 or you can also Google them and find them online. Um, But thank you again, Nick. We really appreciate you coming on and good luck with everything. Really appreciate it. I've enjoyed chatting to you. So uh, thank you for having me on here. 
Appreciate it, mate. Speak soon. Thank you. Bye. This is Ants Talk.